Today's topic is titled, Cut and Paste Christianity. If we begin by reading 1 Peter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your own hearts, and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and reverence. So many churches nowadays preach a watered-down and warm and fuzzy theology that is contrary to the Word of God. It seems that most are concerned with selling or pushing an agenda. They're more focused on a bottom line and a body count for attendance, all the while they discount and dilute the Word of God. Protestant churches continually take one or two lines of Scripture out of complete context, cut and paste, to support an idea or belief for their particular denomination. Unlike the Catholics who just rewrite God's word as needed. All are missing the mark completely. This is of and itself wrong. We read in Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, For I jointly testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, that if anyone adds to those things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. We know that we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The scripture that supports this is Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Matthew 4, verse 4, and Luke 4, verse 4. We must read, believe, and do what God says in his Bible in its entirety. We cannot pick and choose which portions of Scripture we will believe. We read in Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. We live by every word, of God from Genesis to Revelation. We used to go to church on Sundays and we'd hear a line or two from the Bible coupled with a feel-good sermon. We put a dollar in the collection plate and that's it. We're there. We mumble a sinner's prayer and we're saved. Hallelujah. Heaven, here we come. But is this really the truth? Can these beliefs and teachings be found in God's Word? The question the Sunday churchgoers is, have you yourself proven these beliefs by reading them or even locating them in God's Word? We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21, Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. So why do so many people believe a chopped-up theology? Once Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the rest of humanity was a snap. And we know that Satan is a great dragon who deceives the whole world from Revelation 12, verse 9. According to estimations from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, there are more than 200 Christian denominations in the U.S. alone and a staggering 45,000 worldwide. Is it any wonder the truth is twisted? We read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, Rather, you may be knit together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Reading the Bible for yourself and proving what your church preaches may be shocking. You may have to unlearn 
all that you've been taught, as will be contrary to what the Bible and the plan of God actually says. Conflicting with all I was taught growing up, I was all, it was always the issue for me personally. I never read the Bible for myself outside of church, other than an occasional song or proverb. I never did what God said we are to do in his word. I never kept his true Sabbath, much less his holy days. With all those various denominations out there, I'm not even going to get in to some of the TV preachers and the hustle they're pulling. Miracle Spring Water, uh, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. It's all the prosperity ma uh, message. It's as if God is a genie in a bottle. And all you have to do is ask your wish and it'll be granted. The road to heaven's not cheap. Just send in your seat of faith money and you'll get there. What a con. Granted, there are tons of genuine God-loving church uh, pastors and Sunday church members emulating Jesus, who with all their hearts they love him, they know God's word, but they fail to keep his Sabbaths and his holy days. If you love me, keep my commandments, namely my commandments, and that's in John 14, verse 15. All of them. This is not an indictment of them, but just an observation. Keep in mind, judgment will begin in God's house first. That's us. In 1 Peter 4, verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it first begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In taking a look at some of the scriptures used for the cut-and-paste theologies, we'll discuss a few of the most common. We should first start at the beginning and have a foundation and understanding of who God is, Creator, Sovereign, Heavenly Father, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the same in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. Does God change? From the Old Testament, we read in Malachi 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. From the New Testament, in John 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If God changed, he would negate what was taught in the Old Testament and contradict his own words. God cannot lie. We find that in Titus 1, verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God cannot lie, promise before the ages of time. Another question we get asked frequently is, do I go to heaven when I die? Now, certainly this is something more warm and fuzzy than thinking about going into a grave. But is it really true? And this is really a, a biggie that everyone wants to know what's at the end of life. We know it's death. So many churches preach that when a person dies, that person's spirit floats off to heaven as an eternal spirit being to walk the streets of heaven for all eternity. Just how one gets there, there is a variation on the different religious denominations and doctrines. Heaven is the destination of all good people. Most Protestant denominations believe you must be born again. You simply say a sinner's prayer, confess your sins, and receive Jesus into your heart, and be a good person, and you will float off to heaven and be with Grandma upon your death. You will live out all eternity walking the streets of gold. Sounds like a wonderful plan. I believe this most all of my life, as did most of you, until God called. 
And we know that God is the one who does the calling from John 6, verse 44. And God said, hey, you're missing my truth and reward. We read in James 1, verse 18, according to his will, he begot us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all his created beings. In Revelation 1, verse 6, as he made us kings and priests to God and his Father, to him be the glory and the sovereignty into the ages of eternity. Amen. If we think about it, why would God put his only son through such a horrific death to pay a price for mankind if all we have to do is say a simple little prayer? Inviting Jesus into our hearts and being the Lord of our lives may be a step in the right direction, but there is work to be done. We must do our part. Obey, keep, and do his commandments. So many times I've been to funerals and heard people say of departed loved ones, I'll bet they're looking down on us right now, smiling, wishing we were with them. That's kind of hard to believe. As for some of the folks I'd known in the coffin, it's their first time inside a church other than the obligatory holiday tradition. Anyway, it makes everyone present feel better and comforts the family, easing the pain of the loss of a loved one. But what in fact does God's word say about death and what happens to us when we die? To get a grip on this, let's take a look at where we started. We were made and how, where we were made and how, I believe if we keep it simple in the beginning, we will not get confused, and if explained in the words of our Creator, we won't leave any room for arguments. So let's go back to Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living being. God made us from the dust of the earth. Fairly plain and simple. He breathed his breath of life into us and made us a living being. Again, not complicated. We know the woman was taken from man in reading Genesis 2, verses 21 to 23. We were without sin until Satan deceived Eve, and both she and Adam fell from grace, and sin and death entered the world. Having now an end of life, where does one go upon the end of life at death? God clearly states in Genesis 3, verse 19, In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. God makes it clear he's putting us right back where he got us from, the dust of the earth. Many ask, well, what about the spirit, the breath of life? Well, that belonged to God in the first place. It was not ours. Even if we're a baptized saint and had received his Holy Spirit, it would return unto him. Our mortal body would still be returned to the ground from which it came. We read in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. His spirit returns to him, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. It's pretty clear. It does not say anything about a trip up to heaven anywhere. What about all our thoughts and memories? We read in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6, For the living know they shall die, but the dead know not anything, nor do they have any more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is long ago perished, nor do they any longer have a portion forever in all that is done under the sun. 
Again, we see that when we die, our thoughts, our memories, and all that we were dies with us. We know nothing. So who does go to heaven? Jesus himself answers this question in John 3, verse 13. And no one has ascended into heaven except he who came down from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. By the very words of Jesus himself, no person has ever ascended up to the third heaven where God the Father is seated. This deception is a lie from Satan and has been perpetuated through the ages and the many divisions among Christianity. So why all the deception and confusion? And the great dragon was cast out, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, who was deceiving the whole world. He was cast down to earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Revelation 12, verse 9. We know that his mission is to deceive the people of God and perpetuate his lies. It's a lot easier to believe a pleasant and calming lie about floating off to heaven and walking the streets of gold, quite the contrary to the truth of being buried back in the ground, decaying back to dust, and awaiting one of two resurrections that are actually in God's word. Satan is a clever enemy. I will not go into the promise of going or premise of going to hell, another misconception, and I'll have to wait uh, for a future message. Well, what about the thief on the cross? I hear this one quite a few from some of my Sunday church buddies. From Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. Now, let's read what it actually says. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you today, you shall be with me in paradise. People miss this so frequently, they just don't read it, what word for word it actually says. The context of Jesus' reply is that he will remember the thief when he comes into his kingdom. It is future tense as Jesus has not yet returned and established his kingdom. The first resurrection has not yet taken place. We keep a Sunday Sabbath, the Lord's Day. This is another one. I think we've actually done a part on this, the Lord's Day. Sunday's not the true Sabbath. We get asked this question probably the most. People think we are Seventh-day Adventists or some other off-the-wall bunch. And keeping this overview brief, as we have had several studies on the Sabbath itself, we always look to God's Word, as always, to prove and answer any questions. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And we read, And by the beginning of the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The seventh day was sanctified or set apart at the beginning of creation. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Truly, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, to know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And that's in Exodus 31, verse 13. It is also the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 8. So many people claim it is a Jewish tradition or it is strictly Old Testament. These are the same folks who probably have their Bibles chock full of newspaper clippings and wedding and birth and death announcements covered with dust on an end table somewhere, never once cracking it open to see what is actually written in the pages inside. This was me years ago. The real news flash is the Sabbath was rough, uh, established roughly 
2,300 years before a Jew ever walked on the earth. It's an estimate. Man changed the Sabbath day to Sunday with no scriptural authority. This is another study in of itself, as Chauncey, who is our resident historian, can elaborate. Some Sunday churchgoers call it the Lord's Day. Oh, we choose to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day, as I was told by a local pastor when I brought up the fourth commandment. God's holy days fall into the same misconception as the Sabbath. They too are mistaken and dismissed for Jewish holidays and traditions. Then he said to them, Full well do you reject the commandment of God, so that you may observe your own tradition. That's Mark 7, verse 9. We read in Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. It clarifies what God actually said. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Concerning the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my appointed feasts. Israel was made up of 12 tribes. Not all were Jews. It is not referring to the little country in the Middle East founded in 1948. I've heard comments like, we no longer have to keep Jewish traditions or commandments as it is Old Testament has been done away with. The law has been done away with. It's been nailed to the cross. It's another biggie. For truly I say to you, until the heaven and the earth shall pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no way pass from the law until everything has been fulfilled. That's Matthew 5, verse 18. What was actually uh, done away with was the handwritten ordinances of Moses. I'll read that in Hebrews 9, verse 10. These services consist only of meat and drink offerings and various washings and physical ordinances imposed until the time of the new spiritual order. For clarification, Colossians 2, verse 14, has, he has blotted out the note of our debt against us with the decrees of our sins, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. This does not mean that any commandments of God were done away with. Our sins were nailed to the cross when Jesus was crucified. Again, taken out of context to justify the doing away with the Sabbath, keeping uh, and keeping of God's holy days. They try and justify it with chopping up God's scriptures. God also makes it clear what happens if we do not share his precise truth. But if we or even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel to you that is contrary to what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, I also now say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. That's pretty serious. Two times within two scriptures, God's pretty serious about what we share and how we share it. Now is the time for the people of God to return to his true word. He is calling those who will be in his first resurrection. He's calling us not just to believe, but to do. Do you believe that God is one? You do well to believe this. Even the demons believe and tremble in fear. That's James 2, verse 19. The one who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's 1 John 2, verse 4. I love this verse. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being as a priest to me. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Hosea 4, verse 6. 
We cannot pick and choose, cut and paste what we want to believe and dismiss any of God's written word. Our nation is in chaos. Our churches are just as bad. Believing will not cut it. Saying a sinner's prayer won't measure up either. Man-made traditions flying a Jesus flag will not get you into God's kingdom. The blessed truth of God's plan is that we will be resurrected to glory with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, upon his return to establish his kingdom on the earth and to reign with him. In Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. But to do this, we must be obedient and keep his commandments and holy days as he tells us in his word. I'm sure we will have more to follow on this topic in the future as we're now up to part 11. Stay tuned. Thank you for letting me share, and may the Lord richly bless each and every one of you.